Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 2 at verse 5. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 5 of chapter 2 of the book of 2 Thessalonians, where Paul writes this. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So this is a rather short uh, exposition as far as the number of verses that we are encountering here, but uh, there has been uh, so much discussion and uh, some a little controversy about uh, the meaning of these words and terms, and the context is part of our answer to uh, how to resolve some of those questions and some of those controversies. And so we wanted to spend some time focusing on the phrases and the words of this particular portion of uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we have introduced this book before, uh, the uh, the chapters sort of fall according to uh, a, a scheme or an outline that is very easily adaptable to what we see and what we read in front of us. Uh, sometimes the chapter divisions do not always play that role in such a clear way. But uh, chapter 1 basically talks about persecution, that the Thessalonian believers are experiencing and how to wait out that persecution with courage. And that's chapter one. Chapter two, though, there has been some confusion in the body, or at least in the congregation here at Thessalonica, and uh, that confusion has allowed them to uh, uh, speculate about the timing of many of these things. And so chapter two talks about the prophecy and about watching what's happening with composer. And that means that you you watch what's happening, but you do not uh, lose your composure. You you continue to watch and continue to be alert, but you don't get paranoid or afraid or somehow uh, fearful that you've missed something. And that's exactly the way chapter two began. Now, uh, chapter 3 is uh, the third division of uh, our outline, the one that we're using at least, and that's uh, the practice that uh, the congregation should get into because of the anticipation, not only of the uh, the, the uh, persecution continuing, but also in anticipation of the fact that they are clarified now about their role in history, and especially in view of the fact that that uh, this uh, this person, this man of lawlessness, isn't being revealed yet. And what do you do in the meantime? How do you go about your life? How do you live that life? And that's uh, that has to do with our practice as believers, and that is working with commitment. That's chapter three. Now, chapter two has its own divisions uh, according to some of the themes that are there. And uh, the first two verses talk about being gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, uh, the affirmation that the day of the Lord is not yet 
here. It has not yet arrived. That's part of the confusion here is that these believers have somehow been been infiltrated by this idea or maybe even certain persons who have perpetuated this, maybe maybe a letter, a forged letter that seems to be from Paul. And uh, they have gotten the idea that they are living in the day of the Lord. And so Paul reassures them that they should be unalarmed by the day of the Lord. That's chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. And that's, of course, the section we're in right now. And uh, that is where uh, he speaks about the man of lawlessness being revealed. Then the last section of this uh, uh, this chapter uh, two, uh, the last section has to do with being saved through the work of the Spirit, chapter two, verses thirteen through seventeen. This this uh, paragraph or this section of this chapter uh, should be seen in the context of the rest of the chapter, and we'll get to that as we uh, get through. Uh, our expositions in future episodes. But uh, in that uh, particular section of the chapter, uh, he talks about the gospel and that we should stand firm. So in view of many things, we should stand firm with the gospel, regardless of the persecution, regardless of where that puts us in the historical time frame or in our anticipation of the Lord's return. So we still should stand with the gospel. And uh, that's the way the chapter ends. So then in this section, this middle section, you might say, uh, verses 3 through 12, we have the apostasy, that's uh, verse 3, the audacity uh, of this person, verses uh, 3 and 4, the restrainer, and that's the one we're talking about today, the restrainer, verses 5 through 7, the end, and that's verse 8, Uh, and the deception that takes place because of all these things, and that's verses 9 and 10, then the delusion in verses 11 and 12. So I've laid these things out here uh, in the recording uh, part of this episode rather than just leave it in the text part of the episode that you can read on your own because I wanted to uh, show this flow and explain the outline rather than you just read the point by point uh, as you go through this. So then it says, uh, do you not remember that while I was with you. You see, he's already been talking about the fact that that they shouldn't lose their composure um, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Um, That's verse 2. Verse 3 says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every god or object of worship so that he takes his place in the seat of God, displaying himself as being God. And so uh, he wants you to know about this man's career before he actually gets into much of the details because because he wants you to know the key ingredient here is he has to be revealed in order for the day of the Lord to start ticking off or to start uh, start uh, its process in the human family on earth among the nations and the nations of, of, of Israel that uh, that uh, that part of God's plan uh, will only begin when these other events take place first. And he's basically making the argument since those other events happen, 
haven't taken place yet, then therefore we are not in the day of the Lord. And uh, it's almost as if uh, um, you, you guys already know this, uh, that uh, there are certain things that should take place. Now he says, uh, unless the apostasy, there there should be a falling away of the faith, uh, a, a departure from the faith. Well, these dear young believers, they are only encountering the fact that people are now getting saved. They are uh, currently coming to the faith. And uh, yes, there are some spurious uh, groups and uh, spurious uh, uh, religious leaders going around trying to deceive them and that sort of thing and, and trying to infiltrate the churches. Yes, all of that is true. But in many regards, uh, they don't know what apostasy really looks like. They know what persecution is, but this will be something very, very dramatic. And, and somehow it will be uh, historically identifiable. Now, we have had apostasy all along in church history, if you study that. But, uh, and so this will not be a new thing, except for the fact that this will be evidently a characterization of Christendom of all of Christianity except for uh, uh, the the few believers that are standing true with the gospel. So that there will be a falling away of those who seem to be Christians and have called themselves Christians and may still call themselves Christians, but they have stepped away from the faith. They have denied the the essential parts of what makes make uh, make Christianity the faith, and that is faith in. Jesus as our substitute uh, sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died in our place as our replacement, as uh, as our sacrifice, so that He took our place and and paid that penalty. And then He rose again from the grave, and and in His resurrection, He left behind uh, His disciples who continued to on with the message. And that phenomenon, those truths surrounding Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his appearances, those truths are con- continue to be maintained by those who truly do know the Lord. And yet there will be an apostasy. There will be those who depart from that. And so that's that has to take place first. And it will be a broad spread thing, evidently, a, a recognizable thing. And then he says, and the, the man of lawlessness is revealed. So that's the second part. Well, uh, now, if you want to skip over those descriptions of the son of, of uh, uh, the man of lawlessness, there are various descriptions of his career and of his outcome and of his, his, his uh, despicable action, his blasphemous, idolatrous act- actions that take place. But let's get back to the main thought here. The main thought is, when is he going to be revealed? And has he been revealed yet? Well, no. And that's the reason why he starts verse 5 by saying, do you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Now, what we gain and glean or uh, pick out from little hints that we have, like uh, in the book of Acts, for instance, it says, that uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3 says, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and that's the Thessalonian believers, 
And he says, for three Sabbaths, reason with them from the scriptures. So uh, what appears to be this statement, he's only there for three weeks or maybe just two weeks and uh, three weekends, if you want to call it that, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ, that is the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim, uh, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah, the Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. And uh, what's interesting is Paul's apologetic here. Uh, usually as Gentiles, we look at the apologetic as being, we look at whether or not Jesus truly is who he says he is. And if he is truly who he claims to be, then what he claims to be, uh, about the Bible and about the scriptures, about the Old and the New Testament, then what he claims about those uh, uh, those documents and about those letters and about those prophecies and about the, the written scriptures, what Jesus claims about the scriptures is therefore true because of who he is. That's the, the, the logic, you might say, or the, the apologetic that, that Gentiles mostly apply for themselves. And yet, uh, Paul's application of the apologetic is almost the opposite for Jewish audience. For the Jewish people in Thessalonica who are just now coming to faith in Jesus, it goes the other way around. He is presenting the scriptures that prophesy about the Messiah first, and then he explains that Jesus of Nazareth and the events of Jesus's life fulfill those scriptures. Therefore, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross, must be the Messiah of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, come to the earth. And if that is the case, then he says that's what he did. And uh, and so what's interesting is he, he was... The point is, he was only there for three Sabbaths. Now, he may have been there longer, but it was only three Sabbaths that he calculated in the synagogues with these people. Well, we're going to get back right after this interlude. Welcome back, and we are still in verse 5 of uh, what we began our episode with, and that is, uh, do you not remember that while I was still with you, and we kind of made the point that from all evidence we find, at least from the record of Scripture and the record of the book of Acts in particular, uh, that uh, Paul was perhaps only in Thessalonica for a short amount of time, and we just uh, uh, concluded the first half of this episode by saying, that perhaps he was there much longer than that, and he shifted his ministry to to primarily the Gentiles, and and uh, the three Sabbaths in the synagogue were were the part that was limited. Well, that may be the case, but. Uh, 
But what's interesting is that the critics of the Bible, or at least those who have questions about the Bible, uh, say that, uh, well, there's, there's no way that Paul could have talked about all these deep things and all these details about prophecy if he was only there for three weeks. And uh, so they say he's had to have been there longer than three weeks. Well, what's fascinating is uh, about that kind of a claim or that observation uh, is um is that uh, maybe uh, maybe that's a, a problem not for Paul, but maybe that's our problem. Maybe we don't understand what Paul could accomplish in his instructional ministry, his preaching ministry in only three weeks. Maybe he could cover some ground that we would never think about covering in three weeks, and yet he could do so. And uh, he had the uh, the knowledge and the the uh, uh, the insight in order to do so, and he had the the fervency. And and the commitment and the diligence uh, to be able to carry it out and uh, to cover all of these complex pieces of information that he was uh, he was uh, privy to by the inspiration of the Spirit of God by uh, by the fulfillment of uh, biblical prophecy of the Old Testament and other things that he he could contribute to a local church with a great amount of uh, of breadth of knowledge and uh, and maybe that's what we've got all mixed up and uh, and maybe uh, we we uh, we underestimate what the audience could handle maybe uh, it could be that we underestimate what our own audience could actually handle maybe we shortchange our own audience to think well I, my uh, my local church could never understand all those things and and yet maybe they could and uh, maybe we're shortchanging both uh, the ability of Paul and to the receptiveness of the congregation. So he may very well have spent only three weeks in Thessalonica and still could have preached not only the gospel and large amounts of the scriptures of the Old Testament prophecies, but he could have actually um, also instructed them about the details of the second coming. And maybe some churches don't even talk about the second coming. Maybe it's because they consider it to be controversial, or maybe they don't have all the answers, and maybe uh, maybe they, they just don't want to get embroiled in, in uh, studying the scriptures to that amount of detail. I don't, I don't know what, uh, what it is, but... Uh, and it may be in your case, but I'm saying it is time for us to dig. It is time for us to look at these things and uh, and come up with some observations to be able to come up with some conclusions. And yes, there will always be questions, perhaps. There will always be things that we, we don't know for sure, but there will always also be things that we should know for sure. And uh, those are the things that keep us in the Word of God. So it says, uh, and I was telling you the these things uh, while I was still with you. So Paul had the ability to actually get into the whole subject of eschatology uh, as a part of his curriculum. And uh, it's sad to say that in many churches, eschatology is just pushed aside. And that is uh, the study of future things, the study of the prophetic scriptures that have not yet been fulfilled, and the study of those things to anticipate what is about to come in our future. That is an unpopular subject because uh, people just think it somehow uh, shouldn't even be a part of our, uh, our curriculum in our churches. But that wasn't Paul's philosophy. He says, do you not remember? He calls them onto the carpet, so to speak. This 
this should be something you should already know. And um, so he gets to that in verse six. And you know, see there, this is part of their knowledge. It's part of their theology. It's part of their doctrine. It's part of what they should have learned already in Sunday school class or whatever you want to call it. And it says, um, and you know what restrains him now. There is this person called the man of lawlessness. He is currently out of the picture. He is not being brought into the forefront. There is a restraining power or a restraining order uh, against him somehow in the in the universe that keeps him from getting into power. And uh, now there's been lots of theories about who the restraining order is. What's fascinating is some of these these uh, these restraining powers that uh, that people have come up with as hypotheticals. That uh, those are some of the same ones they come up as as uh, being the 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 antichrist himself. And so it's kind of interesting that that uh, the very ones that are supposed to be restraining uh, the uh, man of lawlessness and uh, and the, some of the candidates that that some people have thought. Was was going to be the man of lawlessness to come out to be the same candidates, which is kind of interesting. And uh, so the Roman Empire was considered to be a restraining power. Why they, somebody would actually think that about the Roman Empire, I don't know. Um, and uh, or a particular Roman emperor, um, maybe the the general rule of just civil government, uh, which is another hypothesis. Uh, the Jewish state, which is uh, an interesting proposal. Paul himself being the uh, restraining power that keeps the Antichrist from being revealed. That also is, is an interesting proposal as well. Uh, Elijah or Michael the Archangel has been proposed. Uh, Satan, uh, of all things, that's kind of an ironic uh, theory that some people have held that somehow Satan is keeping the Antichrist from being exposed. That just doesn't seem completely consistent. And, uh, uh, or maybe just the general providence of God over the universe. And that could be. Um, and um, uh, uh, St. Augustine had this to say. He says, I admit that the meaning of this completely escapes me. So uh, uh, that's, uh, that was his uh, thoughts about this particular idea of the restraining. And so it says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. So there is this restraining going on. Something is holding back this uh, phenomenon of the Antichrist being revealed, this man man of lawlessness. It's described uh, uh, earlier here. Uh, the son of destruction, it calls himself, uh, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Now, that itself, uh, that action of idolatry where he puts his image in the holy of holies, that isn't necessarily the moment he's revealed. He may have been revealed as far as his, his identity and who he is uh, much earlier in his career, but but it is that is the climactic moment of his uh, power, of his authority, of this dramatic action that uh, Jesus calls the abomination of desolation, and uh, that may be it. But he may actually be revealed before that particular incident occurs, and that's what uh, this particular verse is all about. You know what restrains him now. So there's something restraining him, and uh, that term, restrain, is in the neuter uh, form of the Greek word. Uh, that means it doesn't uh, give any 
uh, clue about uh, the masculinity or the femininity of uh, of the actor involved in doing the restraining. It's a neuter ver- word, and it's so that in his time he will be revealed. So uh, the uh, this person, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, we we would call him today the Antichrist. He will be revealed. He will have his own apocalypse, and we explained that Greek term earlier that uh, it means a revealing, a disclosure, an an exposure, a a a um, uh, a definite moment where where everybody knows that this fellow is now in the game, so to speak, that uh, is uh, uh, is going to take over the a, a global impact and and basically make a treaty. According to Daniel chapter nine verse twenty seven, he will make a treaty with the nation of Israel. Well, there have been several rulers uh, throughout. Uh, uh, the last several years who have made treaties with the nation of Israel, but this one is a, is a unique one because it involves uh, a, a firm covenant with the nation of Israel, the, the people of, of Jewish people. And, uh, and this guy is sort of stepping in kind of like a, a protection order, and that's what he wants to do, is somehow convince the Jewish people that he is their supreme protector from all of their enemies, and he creates this particular uh, covenant with them. And um, so his his being revealed uh, is only going to take place when the, the restrainer, whoever that is, or whatever that is, is taken out of the way, because that's exactly what verse 7 and says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. You see, um, uh, John makes it clear and other passages in scripture makes it clear uh, in, in John chapter 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. Well, John is writing in the first century, but he says, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming and he names him by name there, but look at the next phrase, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So this entire 2,000 years worth of church history has always been known, at least since John wrote this letter, uh, first, uh, first John, it has always been known since that time as the last hour. And again, in first John chapter four, verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. Who? The Antichrist. And now it is already in the world. So the spirit of the Antichrist has been here as long as the message of the gospel has been here and the writing of John has been here that, uh, that this is already at work. It is no secret that, uh, that evil is still a part of the human experience and that someone is pulling some strings to make it worse. And uh, that's exactly what he says, until the restrainer is taken out of the way. And this second word he who now restrains, that is a personal masculine word. And that that isn't a neuter word. That refers to one who restrains. Well, who is this person that restrains? It is the Holy Spirit who uh, uh, keeps evil in its check, or at least for a temporary time of uh, uh, the Holy Spirit's indwelling of the church uh, is a permanent thing, but uh, for a temporary time while the church and the Holy Spirit are here on the earth, there is a certain restraining of this evil person being revealed. But when when the believers are gathered together, 
in the air, to meet the Lord in the air, then you see when the believers, the church of Christ, that is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, when we go and leave this earth and meet him in the air, then the Holy Spirit uh, goes with us or vice versa, actually. And we are a part of that being taken out of the realm of earthly influence. And when that happens, then everything begins to click off in its timetable because we are removed. The Holy Spirit is removed. And because of that, then the earth will find its course of evil that has been there all along, but will now find its true um, exposure of the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, will finally be revealed when the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. Thank you, Father, for the comfort of these words. Thank you for the power of these words. Thank you for the instruction that it gives to our conscience and our minds in such a fashion as to know that we are with you and you are with us. Regardless of what the future may hold, we trust in you that as the Holy Spirit has indwelt us and has taken us as his temple that he will not leave us unattended he will take us with him as he meets the lord in the air and we will do so as well in jesus name amen i hope you enjoyed our presentation today this is glendal tony Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.